1912, a 39-year-old Reverend John Harper, he was a Scottish preacher, was asked, to, uh, was asked to speak at the Moody Church in Chicago. So he made that transatlantic trip, 1912. It just so happens that his vessel of choosing happened to be named the Titanic. Well, most of us know the story of the Titanic, but maybe not of, of John Harper himself. What kind of transpired is Harper, like many others, found himself in the ocean. Uh, he, was, he was there among all those struggling for life, and he, being a, a preacher and a man of strong faith, would swim to each person that could, he could, could that was calling for help and would ask them if, he knew Je- if they knew Jesus and would minister to them while all of them were trying to survive. Well, it came up to a man eventually, and he was talking with him, trying to convince him of this. And he was getting tired. He'd been doing this for a while. He hadn't been trying to find scrap wood himself to where he was just swimming. And he's talking to this man, clinging to some scrap wood, and he says, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. And that was his last words before he... he, he gave up and, and drowned. A couple years later, on a meeting of all the survivors of the Titanic, this man was there. And he told the story of John Harper. He said, I got saved twice that night. One, as John Harper's last convert. And two, by the rescuers that pulled me out of the water. Even in his dying moments, John Harper was trying to further God's kingdom. And that's a really impressive thing to me because it's really easy to say one thing and not live it and not follow through. And whenever you're put to the test to just fend for yourself, trying to find your own piece of wood, to drift on, hoping for safety, he chose a different path. And he tried to make people secure in that. Another story, another account of John Harper actually goes that he was directing people on the boat and saying women, children, and unsaved. For the, he wanted the unsaved to be on the, on the boats. And anyone that was saved, well, were in the hands of God. I thought that was a really interesting testimony of just someone who gave their life to the ministry, gave their life for the ministry. The man we're going to be looking at today in Acts, we've already kind of seen a little bit of him, but this is a man that is focused on God's will. He is with every fiber of his being, it seems like, is trying to follow God, listening to his voice and ready to answer. The, the story of Philip that we'll be jumping into is uh, recorded here in Acts eight twenty six through 40. We saw Philip last week. He was involved with the revival in Samaria. Simon the sorcerer had, had many things going on there, but Philip, whenever he came through, brought authentic faith to that area. And many believed, including Simon the sorcerer, this was a good thing going on. A lot of, lot of wonderful things, but, well, God had a, had a different plan, it seemed. As things were going really well, God sent an angel of the Lord and said to him, Go south to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he, Philip, started out. First thing that we need to notice here is God sent an angel to speak to Philip. This was kind of big news. God wanted there to be no doubt in Philip's mind. You know, you might be able to discount a dream or a vision that you had, but it's kind of hard to discount an angel from God saying, go to this road, go on this desert road. God didn't want Philip to have any questions about what he was supposed to do. 
the neat part is, Philip didn't question God. Philip could have said, could have said, hey, God, we got a good thing going on here in Samaria. I've got speaking engagements for the next month lined up. Your kingdom is going to be furthered here. Why can't I stay here and work? The ministry is good. Are you sure, God? That's not what we see. Philip's attitude was just the opposite. Go south. And he started out. And he went. I want you to notice as well, God doesn't tell Philip why he wants him to go on this road. Why he wants him to go south. And another interesting thing, that term south, go south down the desert road, that, that idea as well can be turned into at noon. Uh, some translations have translated, go at noon on this desert road, which both are, are bad concepts to me. He's in Samaria, a lot of good stuff going. To go, go south through the desert is not necessarily a good thing, but two at noon? It's not exactly whenever I want to be traveling through the desert. Maybe early morning, late at night, or you know, coming on those whenever it's not so hot, but at noon? God doesn't tell him why. But Philip doesn't question the why. He, he, just, he doesn't even question uh, what, what was planning. He trusts God and his time. He steps out and follows him. I think that's a good indication of what Philip was doing. Let's continue on. And he met up with the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the uh, Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of Isaiah. This man, uh, let, let's just consider this eunuch for a little bit. This man was someone God wanted. It seems very obvious. God is putting in motion a plan together that God wanted this man for a reason. And I think a lot of that is this man was a seeker of God. He was seeking God with his whole heart. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. He was seeking God on his way home. He was reading scriptures. Now, there's several significant things here. One, this man was a eunuch. By default, being a eunuch excluded him from temple worship. He couldn't even enter the courtyard of the temple because he was not a full man, as some of the Old Testament says. So this man had traveled close to 1,200 miles south of Egypt is where he lived, traveled all the way up to Jerusalem to worship, and wasn't even able to enter into the temple court. Can you imagine? I mean, it's a lot of ways like, uh, like, like going to one of a resort or going to a place that you just absolutely love. Let's say we're going to Disney World. We all want to go to Disney World. It's you know, the most magical place on the face of the earth, is, or so we hear. We want to go to Disney World. So we, we buy our plane tickets. We get everything ready. We get packed. We got our Mickey Mouse ears. We're set. We get off the airport, get on the shuttle in Orlando to Disney World, and go up to the gates and find out that it's closed. How would you feel? I'm wondering if that's how this man kind of felt. Maybe he knew he wasn't going to be in the temple, but that's a long journey. And this man was of great authority. He was the treasurer 
of the queen of Ethiopia. In Ethiopian culture, the, uh, the queen is the one that had the power. She's the one that made all the rules, made the decisions, because the king was considered the, uh, a son of the sun god. And so all he did was sit around doing nothing. He was a god. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to rule. He just enjoyed the fruits of the life. So the queen had the power. This man was quite possibly then the second in command because the man that holds the pocketbook is many times the man that has the power. He was returning home and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. Another interesting point. This is not a time during the printing press. Bibles were not everywhere. They weren't printed everywhere. This man had a copy of Isaiah. That in and of itself just shows how much he desired to know. And he's reading. I'll make a point of this. Think of his attitude. Where he had just been. Where he was going. He was going back home. And he had just been to Jerusalem to worship. And he comes home. On his way, he's reading from Isaiah. I think Isaiah is a significant book for several reasons. One is the passage that he's reading, but two, a little bit later, maybe he knew this already, but in Isaiah 56, it has a message specifically to him. Isaiah 56, verse 3 through 5. Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let, never let me be a part of his people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I'm a dried up tree with no children or no future. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath day holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. Can you imagine that message as a eunuch, a foreign eunuch in the book of Isaiah? That's hope. That's something to grab onto. Maybe not something that he had while he was in Jerusalem. Story continues, verse 29. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, Do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, How can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The Holy Spirit told Philip to walk alongside the carriage. What does Philip do? I think this kind of shows a little bit of attitude with Philip that he is, he's so ready, listening to God, ready for whatever God's telling him that whenever the Holy Spirit says, go walk alongside this carriage, he can't get there fast enough. He's running there. He's running. He doesn't care about whatever it may be. Approaching a carriage that, that would have a royal official in it could be... A, a dangerous thing. If they didn't like the way you approached, it could mean life or death in some instances, but more so it was out of respect he didn't do stuff like this. Philip didn't care. He ran to the carriage. And he's presented with a well, really a perfect opportunity. The eunuch needed some guidance here. He he hadn't really gotten the guidance as it seems in Jerusalem. Because he was still questioning on his, way, on his way home. He kept seeking God, though. I think that's the coolest part about the eunuch, is that he wasn't going to quit. He kept on seeking God. Let's continue on, verse 32. The passage of Scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and a lamb is silent before its shears. 
he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was this prophet talking about himself or someone else? The passage that this eunuch was reading, doesn't it seem a little too perfect for Philip? who wants to preach the message of Christ. We know this. We've used this scripture in communion services and things like that. Doesn't it seem just a little too perfect that this is where the the eunuch was reading when Philip came up on the carriage? Well, that's how God works, isn't it? God was wanting this eunuch. He wanted him to be a part of his fold. This eunuch was was searching, and so the perfect opportunity... God led Philip to the right place at the right time at noon of all times preparing him for this one encounter. The passage he reads here is found in Isaiah 53 verse 7 through 8 but the eunuch asks kind of a strange question. He doesn't ask about what that means or what is happening in the scripture. He asked who is this man talking about? Himself or another? Talk about even more of a perfect opportunity. This is the leading question. This is evangelism made easy for Philip. There you go. Here's your open door. But he was ready. Philip was ready because he saw that open door. He jumped on it. Began to teach Philip. Or Philip began to teach this eunuch. Starting with that, which seems so obvious to me, it's speaking about Christ. Paul tells Timothy later on in in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, to preach the word of God, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Philip was prepared. He was ready. Verse 35, So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told the good news about Jesus as they rode along. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. Philip takes this opportunity to to really digress from this scripture and explain about Jesus, how Jesus fulfilled not only this scripture, but all the Old Testament. And you can imagine this conversation that Philip is telling the eunuch about the life, the death, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And as he tells them all that, just... This eunuch is, is eating it up. Romans ten seventeen tells us that faith comes from hearing, and that is hearing the good news about Christ. Hearing the good news about Christ, this eunuch was hearing that, and he was getting his faith. He heard scriptures that day. He was ready to accept Jesus. Philip, no doubt, shared the whole gospel with them, but they came to a body of water. Now, another interesting point of God's providence Where are they traveling? On a desert road. As uh, my sister-in-law hadn't been to Panhandle before, and I was kind of showing her some of the area around here, and I said, you know, she's from Nashville, and they have a distinct difference. They have hills and trees, and we have neither. And I said, but you want to see a pretty, uh, pretty view? I said, Katie and I love driving to Borger. We love that road there. And so I took her just for a while, and we came across the creek. And I said, you might notice something a little bit different than Tennessee creeks. As we crossed, there's no water in it. 
I would imagine what they're traveling through is a lot like this area. If you find a body of water, you rejoice for some aspects, but it's just not going to happen in a desert. Unless the God, the God of all creation has something to do with this. If God had something to do with this, then it makes sense. The eunuch sees a body of water. And he asks a question. What's stopping me? What's stopping me from being baptized? What a leading question. Is Philip really needed? What is he doing? Because it seems like everything the eunuch is doing is just making Philip's job so easy. But maybe that's what a willing servant gets whenever he's willing to serve God. You may notice, uh, if, you're, if you're reading along, I don't have it here, but if you look in your Bibles, most Bibles will skip verse 37. Or at least there's a note there of saying that 37 may not be included in a lot of early manuscripts. Part of that is true. Verse 37 is not found in a whole lot of early manuscripts. So scholars will debate the validity of that's the statement that I'll read you here in a second. But everything that's said in that verse is completely true. Let's read it now, verse 37. You can, Philip answered, if you believe with all your heart. And the eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I don't know why necessarily that was left out of early manuscripts. But I think those that added it later had, had some insight of exactly what was happening in this situation. The Ethiopian's answer is very profound. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's very profound because when he goes back home and serves the king of Ethiopia, that king is supposed to be the Son of God. But he makes this confession. I believe that Jesus Christ is is the Son of God. Romans 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. But the eunuch didn't stop there. He didn't stop with just this confession. That wasn't the end of the journey for him. He commands this chariot to stop. He and Philip get out, go down into the water, and he is baptized. You've probably heard this point a thousand times in in your life, in your, in your walk with Christ. But I'm going to say it one more time. The word baptize here comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to be buried, to be immersed fully, to be covered up. It is, it is a very explicit word. It's not nowhere in Scripture is it talked about sprinkling or, or pouring or anything like that. It is a complete immersion. And this is what happens. Go down to the water completely to symbolize the death and the burial of Christ, you're brought back to symbolize that new life you're free to walk in. That's the point here. Let's continue on, verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself further north at a town called Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. God immediately gives his own personal stamp of approval on, on what Philip had done here and what the eunuch had done by snatching Philip off. Basically, that's saying, your job is done. You did a good job, Philip. I've got more work for you to do. Just take some weight. Now, it's kind of an abrupt ending to the story here, but can you imagine it from the, the eunuch's point of view? 
Most people, when they're baptized, one of the first things that they do or they get put in water is they wipe their eyes. So there's that second, you know, that when you come out that you just really can't see because you're trying to get the water out of your eyes. It seems like when, the scripture's saying that immediately when they came out, Philip was taken away. Can you imagine the eunuch? He gets out, he wipes his eyes just to notice that the person baptizing him is gone, has been taken away. But what's the eunuch's response? He rejoices. He goes all the way home rejoicing. Imagine the attitude he had while he he was in Jerusalem. He was searching for God. He was worshiping him as as he had found uh, through the Old Testament, through that scripture. But it seems like he was empty. After he encounters Philip, who tells him about the good news of Jesus Christ, he goes away rejoicing. I think it's an absolutely great idea that, that, isn't that just appropriate to go away rejoicing? Now, let me come back with Philip. Philip is snatched away, as this term is used here. The only other time that this term is used in Scripture is in 1 Thessalonians four sixteen through 17 And that says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet, uh, and the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will will rise from their graves. Then, together with them who are still alive and remain on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is the same word that we get the term rapture. Philip was raptured away by the Holy Spirit. God wanted him to go somewhere else. Aztis is about 20 uh, 20 miles away from Gaza, and that was the next major town on the road to Gaza. And as we see later, from this point, as he says, every town along the way until Caesarea, Philip preached even more about Jesus. We found out later that Caesarea is his hometown. And so Philip goes back home to preach. God had plans for him. It seems to me that they were listening for what God wanted. They were, they were following through with God. We don't know much anymore about this Ethiopian, but tradition says that uh, he became a missionary to the Ethiopians and is probably instrumental in leading the continent of Africa to Christ. There's a lot of traditions that will point back to this man, this high-ranking official coming back with the good news of Christ And that's how the gospel gets spread through a lot of Central Africa. How neat is that? God wanted this man, but he needed his willing servant to reach him. They were listening to God. This Ethiopian was searching for God in Jerusalem and reading Isaiah. Philip left a great thing going on in Samaria because the Holy Spirit said, or an angel came to him and said, go south. Didn't tell him each step of the journey. Didn't tell him what he was going to encounter. He just said, go south. He was listening to God. Never stopped. I believe that is just an indication of who Philip is and what God wants of us by giving us the story of Philip. Are we really listening to God? You know, there's a lot of times in our life that I believe that we, we know what God wants. We, we know that. We have either studied Scripture or, or we've been told and we know that. But 
at best, we try to do it our own way. We try to accomplish his means on our own terms. And at worst, we just ignore it. God doesn't want us to just know his will and and try our best in our own way. God is always putting willing servants together with seekers. He's putting them, crossing their path. If you are truly asking for God to say, you know, use me, Lord, he's going to. If you are willing to be used, he's going to use you because there are so many lost souls out there that he loves and wants to find. The eunuch is just one of them. This Ethiopian eunuch was one that God wanted, but he needed Philip. God is always active. My question then to you is, are you listening to God? Are you listening to his call for your life? Whatever it may be. If it's, if it's for going south on the road at noon to meet up with someone else that you, who knows, you're meeting up with someone that God wants in his kingdom. Every opportunity God gives us is for a purpose. Are you taking those opportunities? I hope you're using your life for Christ, and if not, now's a good time to start. And if you are in need of any prayers of this congregation to get started in that life with Christ and listen to Him, please take this opportunity to let it be known as we come forward as we stand and sing.